Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Tuesday, September 10th, 2019. Before we get started here, and we got a lot of news, Aaron, you've got a bit of news to share, don't you? Or Absolutely. We've been working on something behind the scenes, and I know that, you know, usually we're doing deep dives and digging up dirt, but we thought we'd do something really, really fun, and I'm so, so happy. I'm also a little bit jealous because this does not involve mud, but we'll set that aside. Uh, Universal Joint is going to be holding a little contest. It's going to be Tweet for a Retreat with Jim Hill Media. We've been talking about how Jim, you and Dustin Fuse are going to be going down to Universal Orlando later on in November of this year. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a Christmas walk, right? That's one of the things planned is you're going to be touring, uh, looking at Christmas decorations, talking about the history of that. You got a live show planned, dessert parties, just a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's planned for this event. So what we're going to be doing is every Universal Joint show from now until the trip, we're going to have a keyword. And if you direct message that keyword to at Jim Hill Media, you'll get entered into the drawing. And if they end up with four keywords over the course of this time, you can be entered into the drawing four different times. And uh, then in October... We're going to have a drawing and somebody is going to have hotels taken care of, tickets to the park. You can join Jim and Dustin for an awesome pre-holiday holiday. I can't wait. So excited. Now, uh, next question is, Jim, when does Marvel get to trip somewhere super nice and awesome? We're actually not that far away from the opening of at least phase one of the Avengers campus. In fact, I am sitting here. Today, holding the August 29th issue of the Disneyland Line, which is the in-house newsletter for Disneyland cast members. And I know we've talked in kind of brief terms about what's coming to the Avengers Campus and out in Anaheim at Disney's California Adventure. Phase one opening next summer, but they did the deep dive for the cast members to sort of give them a sense of what's coming. And... They describe the Avengers Campus as the superhero-themed land coming to Disney's California Adventure next summer, and it will be part of an interconnected global story linked to a campus that's coming later to Disneyland Paris. Also, there is a third campus being built at Hong Kong Disneyland, but we'll talk about that later. For the Spider-Man ride, they describe the Worldwide Engineering Brigade, WEB for short, That'll house the first Disney ride-through attraction to feature Spider-Man, where guests will test the Web Slinger's vehicle, allowing them to sling webs as they collect Spider-Bots that have run amok. Guests will also learn about the latest technology being used to shrink and grow food uh, in the Ant-Man-themed eatery, the Pym Test Kitchen. And then the Avengers Campus will also be the place to encounter heroes like Black Widow, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Also superheroes from Wakanda and Asgard. And the Avengers Headquarter Building will be the future entrance of a new e-ticket attraction where guests will board a Quinjet and fly alongside the Avengers in an epic adventure to Wakanda. But that'll be in the next phase of the one. So 
Perhaps in 2020, you and I should plan on doing an event out in California we can, where we can walk people around and not only tell the story of California Adventure, but also be among the first to try on this uh, Avengers campus out there. So I don't know. I, I heard Paris had a park and you mentioned something about Paris. So immediately I already locked in my head, we're going to Paris. Well, <laughs> I, don't get me wrong. You know, that Paris is actually where the, the Art of Marvel Hotel is supposed to open next year. Right. Yeah, let's well, let's not limit ourselves here, Aaron. That that's Aim high. an excellent idea. <laughs> uh, but again, we, we we were just talking about Spider-Man and the web attraction and of course everybody was sort of looking forward to hey, we're going to get Tom Holland in the Disney's California Adventure attraction and that became much less likely since you and I last recorded. We had actually sort of tried to put a hopeful spin on the whole Spider-Man Sony situation and that kind of went south while we were away. The good news is that Spider-Man is a masked hero. So if they can't use Tom Holland's likeness, they just put the mask back on, mm-hmm. get a sound-alike actor, call it done for the day. And most people really won't notice too much different. That's not true. the end of the world, but yeah. not as good as we had hoped. You have a Sony Pictures chairman and CEO, Tony Vincicuero. He's now gone on record that Spider-Man, or at least the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man, will not be part of the MCU in the near future as they were not able to strike an agreement with Disney. It's kind of gotten passive-aggressive, Aaron. I don't know if you've heard that Vince Aquero said one of the reasons that talks broke down is that Marvel boss Kevin Feige has been stretched incredibly thin and... That's not necessarily a bad thing if you're Mr. Fantastic, but I guess if you're a studio exec, that's a bad thing. Yeah, I'm sure the uh, the head of Sony knows exactly what's going on at, with uh, someone over at Marvel because they've got their entire schedule laid out in front of them, right? You've got nothing else to worry about when you're running Sony, but what someone else's schedule is at Disney. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, the, the interesting thing is that when Vince Carroll was speaking earlier this month at Variety's Entertainment and Technology Summit. And when he was asked, would it be possible, maybe will Spider-Man eventually make it back into a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie? And she said, well, look, it's a long life. And, you know, maybe the door isn't closed all the way. But at the same time, he's like, look, we had a great run with Feige with the Spider-Man movies. We tried to see if there was a way we could work it out. The Marvel people are terrific. We have great respect for them. But on the other hand, we have pretty terrific people of our own. Spider-Man was fine before these big event movies and, and of course, did better after the big event movies. And now we have our, our own universe and he can play off of all the characters there as well. And even Tom Holland was out there trying to put a positive spin on, on the current situation. And in an interview with GQ Style said, look, I'm not shy about expressing how incredible the past five years have been with Marvel, and I've truly had the time of my life. And in a lot of respects, they've made my dreams come true as an actor. But Sony's also been very good to me, and the global success of Spider-Man Far From Home is a real testament to their support, skill, and commitment. And the legacy and future of Spidey rests in Sony's safe hands. And speaking of which, you were mentioning Far From Home comes out on digital this, this coming, coming tu- Tuesday. Yep, this coming Tuesday, and then it was October 1st for the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you were talking about the timing on this. The breakdown gets a little odd, especially when you take into consideration, what, 
Disney XD is about to launch the new Spider-Man animated series. And I guess this came from the D23 and it was just news that I'm now catching up with, but they mm-hmm. were doing an animated Spider-Man, but it's called Maximum Venom. Mm-hmm. And their big thing was get ready for all of Marvel superheroes to be venomized. And so they would show like a image of Iron Man, normal hero stature, and then all of a sudden a venomized version of Iron Man. And then they went through a list of, you know, five or six other heroes after that and showed their normal hero version, then a venom version. And that looks really cool. I I would like to see that. I've always been a big fan of the whole venom carnage thing when Mm -hmm. it started way back in like the 90s and whatnot. But um, just cause I had a little bit of a problem with the movie doesn't mean I'm down on anything venom, mm-hmm. but the, the idea that Sony is taking Spider-Man back mm-hmm. and they've got their venom franchise that they're working on. And it seemed odd that Marvel was still like, yeah, let's do this cartoon series where venom is a featured thing. Now I know that venom is like one of the most popular Spider-Man villains. So, I mean, it does make sense that Marvel they're in control of their own animated stuff so they can do whatever they want without mm-hmm. any fear of Sony. But it also seems like it's leaning into what Sony's overall game plan is, is to, you know, get Spidey to team up against the villains that they have access to in their contract deal. There was that. And then there was also the idea that because Morbius, the living vampire is already in the works filming with Jared Leto. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's too late to cram Spider-Man into that because it wouldn't be a Morbius, the living vampire movie. It would be Spider-Man three versus Morbius. Or they couldn't cram them into Venom 2 because it shouldn't be a Venom 2 movie then. It should be Spider-Man versus Venom, right? Spider-Man's the lead, so he should get top billing on on those movies. So I think that Venom 2 is going to be straight up Venom versus Carnage, the way that they had planned it, you know, at the end of Venom 1. And Mm -hmm. Morbius the Living Vampire is going to set up his story. And then later on, after those movies have come out, then they might team up Spidey against them. But it just seems like awkward timing and a long waiting period and... Sony spent so much time trying to universe build with the amazing Spider-Man and the amazing Spider-Man 2 with all these story threads that never get resolved. And now they're yanking Spidey out of a universe that's been wonderfully crafted and immaculately built so they can then not use any of that in a Spider-Man 3 movie. It seems like all that effort of of being in the MCU is just going to evaporate, and then we're going to end up with all that story you can't mention or talk about because you don't have the rights to. And so he's just going to be off on this new adventure, and he's just never going to acknowledge that he ever hung out with any of the other superheroes. They're never going to show up again. They won't be mentioned on TV or radio in the movie, you know, as things that exist. It'll just all evaporate. So it seems kind of backwards that Sony would pull them out of a universe that they worked so hard and failed at to build. There's a whole lot of questions still up in the air about how it's going to be handled. But either way, I'm just hoping that Sony doesn't screw it up. I mean, I know they've got grand plans and they've had grand plans before that didn't pan out. So it's not like I'm rooting against them. I'm just hoping they don't foul it up. There's a lot of people chiming in about this. Among them, Stan Lee's daughter, JC. She got asked about how she felt about the whole Sony taking back Spider-Man situation. And she solidly came down on Sony's side. She's been quoted as saying that Marvel and Disney seeking total control of my father's creations must be checked and balanced by others who, while still seeking to profit, have genuine respect for Stan Lee and his legacy. 
And she was saying that whether it's Sony or someone else, the continued evolution of Stan Lee's characters and his legacy deserves multiple points of view. Now, she took this bit of news as an opportunity to really kind of take a swing at Disney and and Marvel. Did you see the report? Yeah, but I'm not really surprised by it, though. I mean, it's been public knowledge that Stan had to fight to get what was his financially from Marvel in a, I don't know if it was a rights dispute necessarily, but something along those lines where they had to go to court and cough up some extra money to Stan because they didn't pay him his full share. Mm -hmm. And I can get how, you know, if you're in a family and the company that you give your entire well, not entire life, because Stan had his own thing after Marvel, but mm-hmm. he still remained as the spokeshead of Marvel. Like they were always trotting him out like he was still working there. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that if you give pretty much your entire career to a specific company in that sort of way mm-hmm. and they cheat you even a little bit, your family members are going to be like, yeah, let's go poke them in the eye one time. They deserve it. Mm-hmm. So I can understand her being a little frustrated with Marvel and Disney as a company. No, I get that. I get that. But this is still kind of an open wound with her. She talks about, no one treated my father worse than Marvel and Disney executives, and that when my father died, no one from Marvel or Disney reached out to me. And from day one, they've commoditized my father's work and never shown him or his legacy any respect and decency. And and I have a little trouble with that i mean they put him in a cameo in every freaking movie they ever did there is a little sign of respect right yeah and likewise stan was red carpeted left and right i you know i can't tell you the number of times i went to marvel animation press junkets and stan was right there they put him front and center to talk about these shows so jc is entitled to feel how she feels but I don't know the idea of saying they didn't come say, I'm sorry for your loss to me specifically in your statement is not a very strong case for how they treated your father. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that seems kind of, you know, they didn't do anything for me. And it's mm-hmm. like, you weren't part of the equation. Someone should have sent a card, but they didn't. But that's not the reason they should be damned. If they cheated, stand out of money, leave it at that. Okay. All right. When we get back from our commercial break here, We're going to deviate a little bit from talking about Marvel to mentioning something exciting that's happening on the DC side of the fence. But we'll also be talking about some of the Disney Plus streaming stuff that's coming up shortly. So hang on. We'll be right back. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That Todd Phillips film, Joker, man, I mean, best film. At the it's Venice getting film. more buzz than an electric razor. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, we're, we are six months out from the Academy Awards, but people are already talking about how Joaquin Phoenix's performance as the Joker already has a lock on a Best Actor nomination. 
Neither Aaron nor I have seen the film, which is being released to theaters on October 4th, but it's hard to ignore the buzz. And it's been a tough couple of years on the DC side of the fence. Things like Dawn of Justice and Justice League. But at the same time, they've they've done films that have broken through. The Wonder Woman and likewise, friends who've seen Aquaman just talk endlessly about how much fun that was. But mm-hmm. you as a longtime Joker fan, what's your take here? Oh, I'm kind of split down the middle on this one. I'm very, very excited. I can't wait. But there are certain things that I've, you know, longstanding beliefs that one holds where you Mm -hmm. say, boy, I don't know if this fits into my preconceived notion of what good filmmaking could be. My Mm -hmm. fear is that if you demystify the Joker by giving him an origin story, Mm -hmm. it allows you to understand him on a, you know, more mental level. Mm -hmm. And when we look back at someone like Heath Ledger was a very popular Joker. So we'll look at him very quickly, but in the dark Knight movie, he gave two different reasons on how he became the Joker. So we knew that he was lying about his origin and it made it a mystery about what makes this guy tick. Where does he come from? And you just don't know. So he could do absolutely anything and it doesn't have to make sense because you don't have a a starting point, a ground zero for his craziness. And so if we go through this journey and we see how he's made, I wonder if any way that would demystify him or make him not as threatening. Now, with all of the rave reviews, I have to say that I haven't seen the movie, so I'm just, that's that's just a worry that I have. It's not founded in anything factual. It's just something I'm thinking out loud. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I am excited for it. I hear a lot of stuff talking about how it's made for our time things like mm-hmm. that. So I wonder if it's more about the society that's being portrayed in the movie, just as much as it is the character that's being affected by the society around him. Mm-hmm. That could be a, a big part of the movie. I'm thinking that if this movie ends up becoming popular, mm-hmm. it may not just be because it's a great movie. I'm thinking it's because it's a different formula than your traditional superhero flair. We're focused on a villain for a time, which is a nice little change of pace just to shake things up for not always having a a superhero as the lead. That's a good start. Mm -hmm. The fact that it may not be following a traditional mold. I mean, sometimes it's just doing something a little bit different and everybody reacts wildly to it because you've broken a formula. And I'm wondering how much of that is part of this equation. They didn't follow the standard superhero, supervillain formula in any way. Um, I know that Batman is not in it, and there, I think, may be a, an image of a very young Bruce Wayne who's nowhere near Batman in age. So mm-hmm. it's just the Joker running amok with no safety net, no one to possibly capture him, no one to save the day, which can make him seem more threatening. So for him to not have a nemesis necessarily to go head to head with is pretty drastically different for the superhero mold. You always have to have a hero and it's usually modeled in a mirror of whatever that hero was. Like in Ant-Man, his villain was another dude that shrank down Mm -hmm. in the first movie and Iron Man had Iron Monger. Everyone's in an iron suit fighting Iron Man. So for them to, you know, go in a different direction, that may be the thing that everyone's raving about is I didn't expect to see this because you've never seen it before. It's just different enough. So I'm kind of excited for that. I don't know how much you know about the story, but Robert De Niro plays a talk show host, Rory Franklin, who takes an interest in the comic as sort of a a flailing comic. You know, somebody's trying to make it stand up and is really bombing badly. And 
The brilliance of sort of bringing De Niro into this thing is 1976, he did Taxi Driver, which again, you know, about living in the city and how it beats you down. It, right. it twists you into sometimes a really dark creature. And then just six years later, De Niro actually does a variation on the whole struggling stand-up comic, The King of Comedy, where mm-hmm. he's a, a Rupert Pupkin who's trying to get on the, basically the Johnny Carson show, uh, the Tonight Show, only in this case it's it's Jerry Langford who's played by Jerry Lewis. And so to have De Niro having graduated to playing the Johnny Carson role and to have Joaquin Phoenix sort of going through a taxi driver type brutal, you know, the, the world beating down on him. I mean, it's, there's a funhouse right. mirror quality to this movie that, uh, you know, just from the outside, like, that looks interesting. I got to check this out. The other factor that Todd Phillips said they weren't following any sort of storyline that they made their own storyline is also refreshing mm-hmm. because Civil War came from Civil War. Don't need a scientist to figure that little mystery yeah. out. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's original means that you really can't have a preconceived notion of what you're getting. And that helps you go in with an open mind. One of my favorite parts of The Dark Knight Returns is the Joker. They never identify him as David Letterman, but the artwork in mm-hmm. that Frank Miller book, clearly that's Letterman. And then yeah. and the Joker literally kills the audience in the, the stand-up comedy parlance by gassing them all. Right. In a weird sort of way, when I saw that they were bringing the Joker on the equivalent of The Tonight Show, it's like, oh, dear Lord, is... Is this the Frank Miller moment finally on screen? Yeah, there's a lot of things that have like hints of of comics, but it's not it's not all from one. It, it may be a moment pulled from here, a moment pulled from there, but it may also be to subvert your expectations of what you think you're about to get because mm-hmm. you're familiar with those moments from the comics. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's a, a, we could speculate for days and days about oh, what's yeah. going to be in the movie, and I can't wait to see it. But for the most part, I'm glad that DC is doing something different, right? Mm-hmm. I've had a minor nitpick with Marvel that there is a formula, everything's threaded together so very neatly, mm-hmm. and it seems harder and harder for the average person. To, oh, I got to tell you, Jim, mm-hmm. I got a coworker who just tweeted a couple of days ago about how, hey, have you guys seen this Avengers Infinity War movie? Is there a sequel coming out? Because it seemed like there might be another one. And are there any other movies tied to this that I could see more of? Because I don't know who these people are. And she's a wonderfully hip, cool person, man. She is not really behind the curve on on much, but she's not into comics, right? And that was her first time. She just saw it on Netflix and went, oh, that looks interesting. And they watched it and went, what the blazing hell fury is this all about? And so, yeah, now she's going to go look for all of the other, and the uh, all of the friends were very kind and pointing her in the right direction on how to get caught up on the MCU. But that was the problem I've always been talking about, is if you come in cold, you're not going to know what's going on, who's who, you know, and how these relationships are interlocked over all these different movies. So to see DC... And I know they had problems with their Justice League, but they did a course correction. They decided they're going to do something different. It doesn't always have to be tied to the hip to the movie that came before it. And I'm glad for that. And that's one of those things that I wish Marvel would still have a a little bit more courage with is I know I'm going to get a healthy dose of that with what if. Mm -hmm. But if WandaVision and all of the other things are directly connected to a movie, that just means that you have to see eight hours of WandaVision before you can see Doctor Strange in in the multiverse of madness. So 
that's the difference right now between DC and MCU is DC is doing a course correction because they needed to. And it looks like it's going to pay off for them, at least in this instance. Mm -hmm. And Marvel hasn't needed a course correction. So I'll be damned if there's any way anyone can change the steering wheel right now. I think they're going to they're going to go in that direction until they hit an iceberg and have a a catastrophe. And then they're like, oh, while we're loading up the lifeboats, can we find a plan B real quick? Okay, wow. Speaking of which, though, pivoting to talking about Disney Plus and the Marvel limited series that are in the works. You noticed uh, an interesting bit of competitiveness going on. Just today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Apple had their big huda about phones and iPads and blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. they also have their new streaming service. And uh, I don't know how many shows ago it was, but I said, man, they really don't have anything for content. Mm -hmm. And so today they unveiled that I think they're going to have the entire Peanuts library from Charles Schultz to watch. Mm And they'll have a handful of TV shows, like a small handful, and it's only going to cost $5 a month. And it comes out November 1st, which is a mm-hmm. couple weeks before Disney Plus is coming out. This and, is true. This and now is true. let's look at the stuff on one mm-hmm. side. You've got four or five TV shows and a wealth of peanuts available mm-hmm. to you. To me, peanuts are only good at a bar. Um, <laughs> I mean, I liked, I liked it when I was growing up, but today uh, there's no reason for me to watch uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. And then on the other side, you've got Disney Plus, and my wife was only mildly excited about Disney Plus because we've seen everything Star Wars. We've seen everything MCU. What could we possibly need to see? And I went, oh, by the way, love, they also have the National Geographic channel. And she went, well, shut my mouth and take my money. <laughs> so she's now back on board with the whole Disney idea. But there's nothing about Apple that, I mean, there may be a couple good shows, but I'm not going to pay $5 a month to watch five shows. No, no, that makes sense. And what I find a little frustrating out ahead of the, the launch of Disney Plus is the streaming service opens her business starting in November 12th, and they've done a very good job of hyping things like Hawkeye and, and WandaVision. But then you read the fine print. Both of those shows don't actually show up on this streaming service till 2021. Just today, news broke that Haley Steinfeld has been offered the role of Kate Bishop for Hawkeye. And a lot of folks probably know Haley from her role in the True Grit remake that was released back in 2010. Brilliant performance from her, yeah, by the way, well, I mean, at I, such a young age. It was like, I'll follow her through any mm-hmm. movie because she's just that good. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, Marvel fans probably know uh, Haley best from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. She was uh, voiced Gwen Stacy and Spider-Gwen. Uh, Wanda? For, yeah, if, <laughs> what we're hearing coming out of... Sony animation is true. Uh, you know, she's getting her own standalone film further on down the line. She's going to be playing Kate Bishop in Hawkeye. And mm-hmm. she's a member of the Young Avengers. Uh, issue number one of that hit Sore Shells back in a- April of 2005. And, you know, we just talked about the Joker and his dark backstory. But mm-hmm. they released a Young Avengers special issue in December of 2005 where Kate Bishop's backstory was that she's brutally attacked in Central Park prior to joining the Avengers. And this incident supposedly leaves Kate traumatized, but eventually spurs her to take up intense combat training, which, of course, is the very set of skills 
she's going to need if she's going to take over for Clint Barton and become the next Hawkeye. And clearly, Disney and Marvel seem to be thinking of going down this road because they hired Jonathan Ingla. He's a an alum from Mad Men, the AMC series. You know, Ingla is going to be writing and executive producing Hawkeye. So between the behind-the-scenes talent and the Kate Bishop character storyline that's been out there through Young Avengers. It, it sounds like Haley's going to have some pretty meaty stuff to deal with. I'm almost imagining a old uh, Leon, uh, the professional movie, you know, with... Uh, oh, God, yeah. No, that, 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 that's an Jean excellent Jean Reno template. and a young Natalie Portman, mm-hmm. and he's teaching her how to be a hitman. Something along those lines, where it's teach her to be a martial artist and fight for herself, and that doesn't seem weird. But yeah, I like mm-hmm. that vibe, right? You know, that, that little odd combination of a older guy, younger girl, and they're just there to kick ass and take names. That's an intriguing take. Pivoting now to WandaVision, which there'd been talk out there about how they were going to start shooting this Disney Plus series in September. And just this week, news broke that uh, it looks like the start of production has been pushed back to Monday, November 4th. And WandaVision is supposed to be shot in Atlanta at Pinewood Studios, which wasn't all that long ago on Mud, you and I were talking about how Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Thor Love and Thunder were supposed to shoot next year at Fox Studios in Australia, and that supposedly the reason Disney was having these two Marvel Cinematic Universe films shot overseas was kind of a rebuke of Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who had signed that state's controversial heartbeat law back in May of this year. Mm. Just this week, that's again what people were thinking was going on with Disney when the company announced that it had struck a long-term deal with the original Pinewood Studios uh, outside of London. Uh, According to the Times of, of London, Disney signed a deal to have access to virtually all of Pinewood's stages for the next 10 years. Between what Disney's doing, Star Wars movies and television series-wise, and what they've got in the works for Marvel going forward, it's like, oh yeah, you know, they could definitely make use of Pinewood, which has some of the largest sound stages in the world. But at the same time, between the the Fox Studios Australia deal for Shang-Chi and Thor Love and Thunder, and, and again, this Pinewood 10-year deal for the UK... It was hard not to look at that and think that's a one-two punch in regard to the Pinewoods Atlanta studios, where previously 12 out of the past 23 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies were made primarily at that studio outside of Fayetteville. Yeah, well, with the way that Marvel and Disney are rolling right now, with all the property that they have to Mm -hmm. uh, churn out on a regular basis, it seems Mm -hmm. like they don't always have time to play politics or make a statement with business, Mm -hmm. and they just need room to make content so they can pack it into Disney+. Plus. So this might be one of those things where it's not about a grudge match or trying to prove anybody right or wrong. It's just, we got to make content. We've Mm -hmm. got a 10-year deal with the Pinewood in England. We've got our Fox Studios book up in Australia. We need one more spot. Well, let's go back to Atlanta. I've been making some calls trying to find out if this is a make good or if they're, you know, this is how they, they're closing out the contract. Whatever the case, this Disney Limited series starts shooting in early November and is expected to continue there through March 13th of 2020. Now, what we know so far 
about WandaVision is this limited series will be six episodes long. Game of Thrones director Matt Shankman uh, is handling the show. We've got Elizabeth Olsen back as the Scarlet Witch. Likewise, Paul Bettany is the Vision. Tenoya Paris is going to be appearing in the show as an adult version of Monica Rambeau. Uh, Randall Park, on the other hand, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. He's coming back as Jimmy Woo. You, you probably remember him as Ant-Man and the Wasp. He was the FBI agent assigned right. to be Scott Lang's parole officer. What really fascinates me about this one, Aaron, is what Kevin Feige said back in July when he was on stage at a Hall Age at uh, San Diego Comic-Con for the Marvel Cinematic Universe panel. And he said that what happens in WandaVision directly impacts uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which, again, shows up in theaters May 7th, 2021. Wasn't there a reference to, they wanted it to be there, it was like Dick Van Dyke show or Patty Duke had a, a vibe that they were trying to capture somehow? Well, yeah. And in fact, that's supposedly... The conceit, the six, over the six episodes, whether they're paying tribute or influenced by classic sitcoms from the 60s and 70s, and this piece of concept art shows the Vision and the Scarlet Witch channeling Ward and June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. Vision is sitting there wearing the dad sweater with the, the leather patches and and Scarlet Witch is the perfect mom Patty Duke outfit. Well, I mean, right down to June Cleaver's string of pearls, which again was always, you know, yes, she's a housemaker. They, of course, were pearls, you know, where they're, you know, vacuuming. <laughs> you and I both saw Infinity Wars. We watched Thanos pry the Mind Stone out of Vision's forehead, and he effectively killed that character. Yep. So, so looking at this art, the Vision is alive and well in a 1960s sitcom. How is this possible? Vision died in the comics, and uh, he was dating Wanda, and she mm-hmm. could not handle the loss, so she recreated him. Now, here's the catch. I can't remember if she had created like an alternate dimension and brought him back, mm-hmm. or if it was like this, this memory palace type thing where it was all in her head, but... The fact that it's supposed to link directly to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness mm-hmm. makes me think that Wanda brings back Vision. If mm-hmm. they're in the 50s, some sort of hijinks are happening. It's not your standard fare where he just comes back from the dead to a with a thoughtful little scribble on the script. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more twisted than that. It has to be. Otherwise, why in the hell are they in the 50s? Mm-hmm. So if they're in the 50s and they're in this perfect home life of Leave it to Beaver... I'm really kind of thinking that this is Wanda creating this ideal paradise for them to have the perfect life that they couldn't have because he was taken from her beforehand. And that multiverse that is created may be what uh, Dr. Strange has to deal with somehow. Mm-hmm. Maybe he has to go toe-to-toe with Wanda, which would be hella cool mm-hmm. when our heroes battle one another. It's almost mm-hmm. more fun than when, when they battle their own villains, right? Is when the, the superheroes have a tussle amongst one another. So I wouldn't be opposed to Dr. Strange having a toe-to-toe with Wanda. That'd be pretty cool. Well, again, remember that what they've said so far about Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Badness, it's going to be the first PG-13 
Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Uh, more to the point, it's supposed to be the scariest film in the series. So All for uh, that. maybe you're right. Maybe we are going to see Wanda and Doctor Strange go toe-to-toe. I would like them to, at some point, just start getting a little bit more R-rated. Not that I'm craving anything in particular out of it. I just don't like when they're shackled. I mean, it was a cute gag in, uh, was it Age of Ultron, where somebody said a, a profanity and Cap was like, hey, watch it. And and they turned that into a joke, which is fine for a moment. But there's enough things that I've seen in these movies where I would say, holy expletive, <laughs> you know, and and because it's just like I've got a flying space worm coming at me. You know, you, you let an expletive fly. But like with uh, the old Daredevil and Punisher and Jessica mm-hmm. Jones, those seem more adult in their writing style and their delivery where it wasn't watered down for Kitty's sake. And I understand in a movie theater, you've got to get dollars that way. It's a lot different than a subscription service, but for gosh sakes, if you're going to have Disney plus available and you're going to be making these MCU attachments, you're not relying on the theater dollars quite as much anymore. And you Mm -hmm. can go just a little bit darker with your, your violence, with your blood. You know, one thing that always ticked me off, it's such a stupid thing. Wolverine, has metal claws that come out of his fists and he kills Mm -hmm. so many people, but you never see like a drop of blood on his claws until you get to Logan, which they made a conscious decision. This is an R rated movie. And it's like, finally, after the guy stabs someone, you get to see blood dripping off of his things. And it's like, that's actually realistic. It doesn't take me out of the moment. It makes (laughs) pain be attached to that moment. There's a lot of things that adding the, the little driplets of blood here and there can add some consequence to the actions. So, yeah, I'm I'm always hoping for a little bit more on the dark side. So with Doctor Strange going PG-13 and having even a small horror element, I cannot be more excited for that because I think it's a step in the right direction for something a little bit different, something that we don't get every day, and and I'm all for Marvel shaking up their formula any way they can. Okay. Tell you what, folks. We'll be back in another episode and do a deeper dive on the other two limited series that are in the works for the, the first phase of Disney plus uh, Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then after that, Aaron, we really do have to talk about the stuff that got announced at D23. Uh, what is it? She-Hulk and Moon Knight. But if what we're hearing is true, you know, the whole notion of that each of these will have their own distinct take, their own, you know, diff- different artistic vision. In fact, uh, I forgot to mention her, Elizabeth Olsen was asked what she was looking forward to most when it came to WandaVision. And, you know, she's, you know, we're finally get to get to go down some roads from the comic books that are fan favorites. It's, it's going to be a wild ride. So, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like they're going to do exactly what you're talking about, Aaron. They're going to reach back to that storyline where Wanda brings Vision back and what that does going forward with the consequences of that action. I'll be looking forward to it. Well, speaking of things to look forward to, folks, we do a number of different podcasts here at Jim Hill Meter. We've got the Disney Dish with Len Testo. We've got the Universal Joint Show with Dustin Fuse. Uh, we've, of course, got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, coupled with Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zahair. And we've even got our Disney merch show. I want that Michelle Valladolid. If you could head over to iTunes and rate or rec- recommend this show, that'd be very helpful. And if you really, really, really like uh, what you've heard today with, with myself and Aaron, uh, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. 
And I guess for now, Aaron, that'll that'll do for the Marvel Universe. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll get back soon. More Marvel Us Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.